Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be having NFL and what's going on there. We'll be talking about the NBA and what's happening with the association. We will have an interview, our first forum interview, with Tramel Gooden of the Fan Control Football League, the new league that's starting up. We will be discussing a little bit of WNBA frequency and Major League Baseball. And as always, we will have our best for last. Now, don't forget, you can follow the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, along with the Twitter page at JTimeSports that covers a lot of breaking news. I am a one-stop shop for pretty much everything when it comes to sports news. And so make sure you guys definitely give that a follow, subscribe, drop a rating, all that good stuff. But now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, everyone, and welcome in to an absolutely loaded show. I mean, we've got NFL, we've got basketball, men and women, we've got baseball, we've got interviews, and always best for last. This show is going to be absolutely loaded. I'm so excited to share this show with you all and be able to do this with you all. Again, I'd like to thank all of you for helping the show grow. Tell your friends if you like what you hear. And let's keep this thing rolling together. So we're going to start off with the NFL, of course. We always do when they got football. Football is king in America, and it's king on this show. So absolutely great conference championship weekend. Um, ding, ding, ding for us and Jack's Pack. We're not going to do Jack's Pack separately this week as because the Super Bowl is next week. We're going to save predictions for the Super Bowl and all that for next week. But ding, ding, 2-0 in Jack's Pack this week so great job by us we correctly predicted the bucks were going to win outright against the packers and we predicted that the chiefs would score a win by at least three remember i worried about that three and a half hook glad it wasn't three and a half ultimately because i would have picked the bills and i would have lost but the chiefs ultimately did cover the three by a lot and we're going to start off with that game with the chiefs and bills so this game was billed as you know, the new Manning Brady, which for those of you who don't know, that rivalry was, well, pretty one-sided. It was a lot of Brady. Yes, Manning did get through a couple of times, and he won actually a lot over Brady once Manning got to Denver, but Brady kicked Manning's teeth in a few of those times because Belichick was able to rattle the computer, and the computer being Peyton Manning. Peyton didn't like motion because he wanted everything to line up. He wanted to read everything, and then he wanted to compute in his head what he was going to do. And so when you got a guy like that, Belichick knows, okay, once they line up, they're not moving. So I don't have, I can throw as many exotics and as many, anything as I can because they're not going to move in motion because Peyton didn't like motion being a computer that he was. But when it comes down to this game, this game was built, like I said, Manning Brady. It turned out to be, well, Manning Brady for the most part. Uh, the Chiefs had the better complete team. Patrick Mahomes is better than Josh Allen. Although Josh Allen's a lot closer than that game showed. The lack of a run game really hurt Buffalo here. It showed up against Indianapolis. They were able to overcome it. It showed up in their second game of the playoffs. They were able to get through it against Baltimore because Baltimore's offense was completely inept, and so they were able to get through it in Baltimore. It showed up again against the Chiefs. Here's the problem with the Chiefs' defense. The Chiefs' defense is good at two things. They are good at pass rushing when they know you throw a lot. So when they know they can just pin their ears back and unleash Frank Clark, unleash Tyron Matthew out of secondary, unleash Chris Jones, those guys can get home especially when they are fully aware that you don't have a run game to come at them. So what's the best thing to stop a pass rusher is to chip, double, and have a good run game that can run right at him. The reason being is pass rushers like to get a first couple of steps pretty much free, and then they'll start using their hands, using their speed advantage. Now they got you on your back feet. They got you backpedaling. And despite how nimble and agile that those guys are, 300-pound men do not like going backwards. They much rather prefer to go forwards. So... 
you take the advantage away for the pass rusher if you can run the ball. Well, the Bills couldn't run the ball. So the Chiefs just unleashed their pass rushes forward. Also, if corners realize that they can immediately start getting in the coverage. They don't have to think about a run game at all. Zone coverage, they're not peeking in the backfield. Maybe they might hand the ball off and have to come up. None of that. They're playing lockdown man coverage with the Chiefs, with guys like Ty Matthew, Brashad Breeland, and the rest of that secondary. Those guys are really great at pass coverage when they can just pin their ears back and play pass coverage. So the Bills struggled to move the ball. On the opposite side of the field, I mean, the Chiefs are the Chiefs. You know, they were down 9-0 after Miko Hartman basically gifts the Buffalo Bills a touchdown from a, a, a muff punt, rather. And the Bills score is 9-0 because they missed the extra point. And then it was 38-6 sprint by the Chiefs, including a literal sprint by Tyreek Hill that he took a six-yard slant. And as only Tyreek Hill can do, split multiple defenders with just raw speed. There was no moves involved. He just put his foot in dirt and took off. And there was nothing anybody can do until they finally catch him because he starts dodging people down the field and they finally run him down. Look, the Chiefs are a machine. We know this. We know what the Chiefs represent. We know that the Chiefs offense is spectacular, but their defense, especially in the playoffs, is something to behold. Because, like I said, if they can make you not run the ball, you're in trouble. Because that's when you unleash Clark. That's when you unleash Jones. That's when you unleash Matthew Fine in the secondary. That's when you make sure that now, if he's not coming out the secondary, Jamal Adams style, he's robbing the coverage. I mean, he's everywhere under the middle because he's looking to make a big play. You got Sorensen that likes to be around the line. He likes to blitz as well. And so when you've got so much defensive versatility in a playoff series, it makes the Chiefs, a playoff game rather, it makes the Chiefs very hard to beat when you cannot run the ball. Mahomes was Mahomes. Kelsey was Kelsey. Honestly, Leslie Frazier, you might have not gotten a head coaching job off this game alone, who's the Bills DC, because maybe, just maybe, you should guard Travis Kelsey. He was open like a lot. Like... Like, like like a lot a lot like Travis Kelsey was just running at certain points of the game alone he's an all world and I do mean all universe route runner out of the tight end position I get that he's already a top 5 tight end of all, of all time I get that he's the best tight end weapon going in football I understand but that doesn't excuse or anything that makes him running wide open worse than what it actually was because you should know that Reek and Kelsey should be doubled universally, figure out the rest. And so, you know, that wasn't the best of game plan, sitting in a soft zone, allowing Kelsey and Tyreek Hill to maneuver through it and not really applying tons of pressure to Patrick Mahomes, even with the bum foot or the bum toe, but he moved rather well and showed no signs of a concussion if he indeed had one because reports were coming out that it may have been a really, really fast like choke out of sorts. But he lost blood flow. That's why he was woozy and that sort of thing. Speaking on the Bills offense, speaking on the Bills, really Josh Allen, that was Josh Allen's comeback to earth game. Now, do I think Josh Allen is 55% completion percentage and that's what he is? Like he's rookie in sophomore year? Of course not. Do I think he's top three in the league in everything efficiency? Probably not. I think he's somewhere, you know, more to the second than the first, where he's, you know, somewhere around six, seven percent completions, uh, three and a half to one uh, touchdown interception ratio. So 35 touchdowns, 10 picks kind of season. Uh, passer rating, probably 105, 108. That seems to be where Josh Allen will probably reside for his career. And that was a rough game for him, but that was a learning experience. You know, he made sure that he hugged or he hugged or handshook everybody on the team while they were while the Chiefs were basically running the clock out. Stephon Diggs stayed after the game to watch the Chiefs celebration in full pads. I mean, he he was watching the Chiefs celebrate. Josh Allen can play. And Buffalo Bills, congratulations. Usually around this time, I give eulogies. I had to eulogize Drew Brees. I had to eulogize Ben Roethlisberger. I had to eulogize Phillip Rivers. It wasn't fun for me. I didn't like it too much, but I had to do it. This time, Bills, hey, Bills Mafia, 
I believe in you guys. You guys finally have your coach and Sean McDermott. You got your quarterback. You've got in Josh Allen. You've got your star receiver, Stephon Diggs. You've got the best damn offensive coordinator in the game, which is Brian Dable. You got a top five defensive coordinator, which is Leslie Frazier. I mean, you are set up. All you need now is to get an edge rusher and a running back. You need to create a little bit more pressure on the quarterback off the edge, and you need to be able to run the ball to relieve pressure off of your quarterback from the edge. Other than that, you got a pretty set football team. I mean, Cole Beasley was playing through a broken tibia, if memory serves me correctly, and he was still producing. So get Cole, get Cole Beasley healed up. Obviously, you got Stephon Diggs. Make sure he's on the contract. Get you a running back. Get you an edge rusher in the draft free agency, and you are sitting pretty. I would definitely look if I was the Bills at Aaron Jones. He's going to be a free agent. I know he didn't have a great game in the next game we're going to talk about, but I would definitely look at a guy like Aaron Jones. I would see what Jadavion Clowney looks like in the offseason. And then I would definitely go into the draft looking at a Najee Harris, a Travis Etienne, one of those running backs, or there's a lot of good edge rushers this draft. So I would look at one of those guys. But Buffalo Bills, congratulations. You have a future for the next 10 to 15 years, in all honesty. And congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs for advancing to their second Super Bowl in the Patrick Mahomes era. And let's be honest, they're about six inches of an offsides away from being a possible three-peat champion this season, which is absolutely insane. But moving to the game that was deemed an upset, I didn't think it was, but it was deemed an upset for multiple reasons when the Tampa Bay Bucks went into Lambeau Field and knocked off the Green Bay Packers. Again, I just thought the Bucks were the better team here. Um, defense on defense, Give me that Bucks defense, especially with Vita Vea back. You had Vita Vea, you had Shaq Barrett, you had Dominican Sue, you had JPP, you had Devin White, you had Levante David, you had Carlson Davis, who when he's not playing Tyree Hill as an elite cornerback, you had Antoine Winfield was out, but Jordan Whitehead was a thumper just like Winfield. You go on offense, obviously, what the Bucks have in their arsenal and their cache of weapons. I just thought the Bucks were the better team here. Even running backs are running backs. Playoff Lenny, as in Leonard Fournette, is an absolute monster. We saw that on that 20-yard run. He comes through looking very LSU. He's hesitating, hesitating, does the spin move, and gets north and gets into the end zone. That is LSU Fournette. I mean, LSU football equipment page even tweeted out, oh, it has to be the pads because he still he has his pads from LSU. And when he sleeve slides up, you can see the purple and gold. But... There is a better football team in Tampa than it was in Green Bay. Honestly, I think, and I don't know everyone's going to talk about, oh, Matt LaFleur, what about the field goal? Man, he went with the field goal there. Should he have gone with the field goal there? You still needed a touchdown. Why would you go for the field goal? Which, which, don't get me wrong, I am not defending. I am not defending Matt LaFleur under any circumstance. I want no misgivings about that. I'm, I'm not because... You kick the field goal there to go down five. You still have to go get the touchdown. Now in Matt LaFleur's defense, you're on a good side of two minutes. You effectively have four timeouts. Tom Brady hadn't done a lot in the second half. Even if he gets a first down really fast, like he gets first down on the first play, two-minute warning. He threes and out. Okay, cool. You're down five, minute 30, some odd seconds left. Aaron Rodgers down five, Lambeau Field, minute 35 left against Tom Brady. You got to go 67 yards to win the game. Okay. Uh, if you're Matt LaFleur, you feel comfortable making that bet. I, I get I get the reason why you do it. Here's the reason why against you doing it. The Bucks felt a lot more comfortable throwing from their 25 or 30. Because, for instance, they could just kick it. If the worst kind of worst, they three and out, they can punt you all the way back possibly make you drive 80 85 yards instead of if they were let's say the Packers go for it they come up short on the one the Bucks are actually the Bucks are handing the ball off the Bucks are QB sneaking probably once handing the ball off to Leonard Fournette once handing the ball off to Leonard Fournette probably again or Rojo and then punting because they're inside the five yard line maybe they stand up and throw one but it would be nothing deep because you don't want a safety so you put your defense in a predicament that they could actually succeed in attack because they're inside the five-yard line more than likely. 
But he decides to, of course, kick the field goal, go down five. He doesn't get the ball back. But I repeat, I am not defending Matt LaFleur here because, I again, I understand the logic. I wouldn't have done it. You needed to die anyway. Plus, you would have been close to going for that. It, it was a lot against the decision, but I understand why you did it. I'm not going to let Aaron Rodgers off the hook. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not. Aaron Rodgers lost that game for the Green Bay Packers. He's lost a few games in playoff games for the Green Bay Packers. Tom Brady absolutely took the soul of the Packers defense late in the first half. When he threw that beautiful pass to Scotty Miller right over the head of Kevin King, that was Kevin King's second touchdown he gave up that day. And actually not even his biggest mess up. We're going to talk about that later. His biggest mess up of the day. It was 21 to 10. And then the Bucks were getting the ball back. So it was very real possibility that by the time Aaron Rodgers touched the ball again, it was going to be 28 to 10 ball game. It turns out Aaron Rodgers had opportunities. Why? Because Tom Brady throws three second half interceptions. The Green Bay Packers, led by soon to be three time MVP Aaron Rodgers, scored six points. They scored six points on three Buccaneer interceptions. That is unacceptable. Now, I don't know who that falls on more of Matt LaFleur or Aaron Rodgers. I just know that a soon-to-be three-time MVP needs to get me more than six points on three interceptions. Now, in A. Rodgers' defense, they were all plus side of the field interceptions. So they were all effectively, if you had a long drive, or you had a big punt and had to drive back. It, I mean, there was one short-er field one, but... Like the one he tried to throw it to Mike Evans when the blitzer freaked him out. He just threw it up. Brady threw it up. That was on like the other 25. So he said to go 75 yards for that one. So there is there was room to be like, well, it was a regular drive. That's fair. But you still had three second half turnovers from your defense. You got six points. There was an opportunity for you to run at least to get five or six yards if you don't score to make your head coach and Matt LaFleur say, screw it. It's fourth and goal on the two down eight with two minutes and two minutes left i'm going for it um and say you try to throw a cross body ball to Devonte adams obviously it doesn't work and that sets up the fourth down call that we're thinking about now there is the situation where you miss Devonte adams in the back of the end zone threw it high there was a play where alan lazar is running completely by himself up the left sideline you don't see it, throw a contested pass, incomplete. Aaron Rodgers, yes, his raw numbers are going to look amazing. His raw numbers are going to look great. But I didn't think that he was great late. He wasn't great when he needed to be. Hell, he wasn't even good when he needed to be. Um, JPP and Shaq Baird, I know, were applying pressure all night. Bakhtiar was not there. And they were able to peel the edges all night. Vita Vea was great in the run game. Jordan Whitehead was amazing in the run game himself, forcing a big fumble on Aaron Jones that was picked up by Devin White who is always around the ball one of the top three or four linebackers in the league in my opinion and ultimately the Packers lost another big game Aaron Rodgers got what he wanted I said it last week Aaron Rodgers got what he wanted he wanted first seed because he wanted everybody to have to come through Lambeau he wanted a cold game. He didn't necessarily get the frozen tundra game. He didn't get the 25 degrees with a foot of snow game. But he got a pretty cold night. He got a pretty cold day, rather, with a little snow flurry. He got it at home. He even got fans back in the stands a little bit. And they relaxed some of the restrictions on the stadium for the playoffs. And Aaron Rodgers wet the bed in the second half. So that's going to be a hard one to swallow. Now he's being mellow, dramatic Aaron Rodgers. Oh, I don't know what my future holds. And, you know, nobody's future is certain in this business, which is true. But yours is like 99% sure. I mean, it it would be cap hell for them to decide to move on from you within next season. And more than likely the season after that, they would be in a cap-stricken environment. The Packers are bringing you back, and you know that. But he was smart, and he decided to pass the blame effectively to Matt LaFleur and get everybody on his side. Get Aaron Rodgers some love. Hey, no no shame in that game. Good job, Aaron. Proud of you. 
But hey, that's what happened. The Bucks outplayed the Packers, and the Bucks get to play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, which we will talk about a lot more next week. Of course, Super Bowl week, it does not get much better than that. Even though it's a little different due to COVID, we will talk about a lot more of the Super Bowl next week. Shifting to some NFL news. Obviously, the big news yesterday was Deshaun Watson has officially, or rather, it was rather reported that Sean Watson, Deshaun Watson has officially requested a trade from the Houston Texas Texans. Shannon Sharp of Undisputed was first on the news. He, uh, he reported saying a source told him that actually the request was in weeks ago. So when the rumors first started to come out about, oh, there's rumblings he could want out, apparently the, the trade request is already in. Um, so that happened weeks ago. The hiring of David Culley did not matter to Deshaun Watson. The hiring of whoever's on staff did not matter to Deshaun Watson. Um, Their relationship has been severed and severely broken with the Houston Texans, uh, led by owner Cal McNair and his right-hand man, Jack Easterby. And if you listen to a lot of ex-Texans and a lot of you know, Texans legends, they're saying like the problem started really once Easterby got in the organization. Once Eastby was able to get his control and get his claws into Cal McNair, become become a guy in his ear and one of his chief decision makers, the problems in the organization started. You had Andre Johnson talking out against it. Now reports is that's what Deshaun Watson has a problem with because they promised him things like, oh, we're going to involve you in the coach and GM search. Well, we want your opinion. And then they hired this fancy firm. The firm gives them two minority candidates, Lewis Riddick and another guy. I can't think of it right now. And they go, nope, don't like that idea. And they just hired Nick Casario out the blue. Okay, where did Nick Casario come from? And then, so you tell Deshaun Watson this, and then you hire some guy out the blue. And then he goes, okay, look, look, look. I really want you guys to talk to Eric Bieniemy. Just, just, just talk to him. Oh, sure, Deshaun, we'll, we'll, we'll get right on that. And then they interview multiple candidates and no Eric Bieniemy. In fact, they wait, they don't really, they really wait until Deshaun Watson causes a fuss and throws a fit. And then they want to bring in Eric Bieniemy for an interview. Well, I mean, at that point, Deshaun, the bridge already burned to the ground. Along with the general distrust of the organization, Deshaun Watson wants out. Um, this is the first time I can remember a NFL quarterback doing this. So it's not a situation where Brady and the organization kind of split from each other, where Brady wanted out because he's seen the writing on the wall with New England and Belichick wanted out because he wanted a chance to prove that he can win without one. I mean, Belichick wanted him gone three, four years ago for Garoppolo. Robert Kraft said no. And so, you know, how that went. But with the situation that was happening in Houston, this is an NBA-style situation. This is James Harden forcing his way out. This is Paul George forcing his way out. This is, you know, those kind of guys using their power to say, you know what, you're incompetent. I don't want to work for you anymore. I don't want to play for you anymore. I'm not going to help raise your net worth. I'm not going to do any of that for you. I want to move on. In the NBA, it's different. It's a star-driven league. They can't franchise tag you. If Anthony Davis is the same thing, they can't franchise tag you if you have 18 months, hell, even two years left on your contract, and you tell them, look, I'm leaving. I mean, you've had guys like Kyrie Irving get knee surgeries and uh, threaten knee surgeries and set out for you, like, I'm not going to play for you anymore. Then they have no choice but to move you, and the NBA will compensate. You know, some team will trade a boatload of stuff for a star. The NFL, this is the first time it's really happened this way. Um, 25-year-old quarterback who has, what, four or five years left contractually, straight up saying, I'm not playing. And due to the way it's cash flow, the Texans have already paid Deshaun Watson about $80 million. So they, he has the financial means to say, I just won't play. Um, so Houston definitely has to make a move there. Personally, being a Patriots fan, obviously I'd like to see him come to New England. Uh, Nick Casario can throw us a bone for that one. Uh, I don't think it'll happen, though. I think the team that will dominate the NFL if they get him is Indianapolis. Although that's in the Texans division, so that's pretty much ruled out. San Francisco 49ers, because they're not in love with Garoppolo. Deshaun Watson is much better than Garoppolo. And you have... 
the Miami Dolphins, who, let's be honest, they're not in love with Tua. And if they can upgrade there, have the best quarterback in the division, and they will have one of the better defense in the division, and they will probably win the AFC East while battling Buffalo with Josh Allen. So I think those are three great landing spots for him. I think the Giants could be an interesting landing spot. I know they have Daniel Jones, but you put Deshaun Watson, Saquon Barkley, get you a receiver, Allen Robinson in free agency, now you're in New York media. That is a good situation. Also, what about Jacksonville? Jacksonville can trade the first pick, possibly almost straight up for Deshaun Watson by gifting the Texans Trevor Lawrence and may throw in a third round pick for additional compensation. Now Deshaun Watson is in Florida, no state tax, with Urban Meyer and the most salary cap in the league. Free agents will flock there. Maybe Allen Robinson goes back to Jacksonville. The group he was used to in Jacksonville isn't there anymore. Juju Smith-Schuster may head down south. There's plenty of options for Jacksonville if they were to pull off Deshaun Watson. Hell, they can do it without Deshaun Watson with Trevor Lawrence. But up next, we will be shifting to the NBA and talking about what's going down in the association. Alrighty, guys, welcome back in. And now we're going to shift to the NBA and talking about what's going down in the association. So taking a look at the standings after last night's contest. In the East, we have Sixers, Bucks, Pacers, Nets, Celtics, Cavs, Hawks, Knicks, Magic, Bulls. The reason we are doing 10 is because with the play-in system, obviously the 10 seed will play the 7 seed for the right to make the playoffs. So I think it is cool or necessary that we look at the 10 seed. And for the West, we have Jazz, Clippers, Lakers, Nuggets, Spurs, Grizzlies, Suns, Trailblazers, Warriors, Rockets. So obviously, a lot of movement happens overnight. I mean, five teams were switched in positions just off one game last night. So the West is jam-packed, as always. Through Four through ten is usually in play when it comes to the West. And so that is the way it is now. Um, the MVP race is heating up. I mean, we have MVPs all over the country. Usually, you know, by this point, about a quarter way through the season, we're not quite at the quarter pole, but about a quarter way through the season, we start seeing, okay, four or five guys have separated. Maybe even two or three guys have really separated from the MVP race. That is not the case this year. We've got Joel Embiid up in Philly. He's dominating, really bringing the big man back. And he showcased that against the Lakers a couple nights ago, dominating them early in the first quarter, slowing down a little bit as the game progressed, but really showing where his abilities are this season. You've got Jokic out in Denver. Also, again, bringing the big man back, showing the NBA that, hey, you need one of us in order to succeed or they need to start winning games to really bring basketball back a little bit. You know, I miss the days of having an automatic center in an all-star game because it was necessary. You know, I miss the days of where, you know, there was, like I said, two bigs on the floor in the all-star game. Jokic and Embiid would be on the floor in the all-star game. Now, they still might make it, but it's no with the front court, back court thing. Remember, there was a year where they didn't have a center on either side. I think the coaches ended up voting in a center on either bench. But the starters, it was small forwards and shooting guards and point guards. It was the weirdest thing ever. Like Carmelo and I think KD jump center or something like that. Like it was just the weirdest thing ever. But in an all-star game, it's effectively pick up basketball. And let's be honest, Jokic running down the court ain't very sexy in an all-star game. MB, pretty much same. So when they had a positionless small ball all-star game, it was very up-tempo because everybody can run. Everybody can dribble. Everybody can dunk. Everybody can shoot. It was pretty it was pretty cool to watch, not gonna lie. But it takes a little bit away of the basketball purity not having those bigs there. So I hope Jokic and MB continue the MVP level play. You've got Damian Lillard. Look, I know that's not a name that's the most sexiest of names in the MVP race, but he's there. Obviously, my preseason pick of Luka Doncic, he's there in the discussion. LeBron James, year 18, still the best player in the world in my opinion. He's there. Kevin freaking Durant, 18 months clear off an Achilles injury, putting up basically his MVP numbers, actually a little bit better in some categories. He's there. 
So there is a lot of different people still in the MP race. Hell, Jalen Brown is dark horse in it right now for the Boston Celtics. So there is, like I said, a lot of different guys, a lot of different talent in the NBA. Uh, there's plenty of guys in the MVP race. I'm sure I'm missing one or two. Giannis. I mean, he's still putting up numbers. Now, nobody's winning three times in a row since Larry Bird. But, hell, he's there. And he's still putting up numbers as well. So, the MVP race is heating up. I cannot wait to see how these guys keep playing. Now, stars are playing stars. And it's it's pretty great to see in the association. But now, I'm going to shift gears. <sighs> I don't like doing this. I don't. I don't. I don't like doing this part. It's not fun for me. I mean, it's really not. As much as it's going to sound like I'm enjoying this, trust me, I'm not. I'm miserable. I'm practically crying. I'm not. And I don't like doing this because I don't like calling for people's jobs. I don't like, you know, saying that, you know, things are just not working out for someone, especially in sports. I know how hard it is to get in the business. So there's two people that need to be freed from that situation. And I feel for the fan bases of both of these teams because I believe both eventually will get out, not for equal compensation, and they will be in the tank for a lovely, well, further in the tank for a lovely minute. Those two people are Bradley Bill and Zach Levine. Both are currently the Wizards are the worst team in basketball, only having three wins since the Pistons beat the Lakers last night. And the Bulls are the 10th seed in the East. Zach Levine's averaging 27 points a game. And if he was on a decent team, is probably an all-star starter out of these. Maybe, maybe not. But he's undoubtedly a pretty good vote getter in these. I would vote him in these if his team was scoring, or his team was winning rather, a little bit more games. But right now you're 10th in the East. You're not even 10th in the West. You're 10th in the East. But Zach Levine's averaging 27 points, five rebounds, and five assists a game. And they're tenth and east. Chicago, do us a favor. Do me a favor. Hell, do Zach Levine a favor, and trade him to a better situation. I'm not saying your situation is bad. I'm not. I'm by no means disparaging the Chicago Bulls as an organization, in the sense of you're going young and have Kobe White. You've got Wendell Carter. You've got Lloyd Marketing. You've got um, picks and assets. You've got people that. You know, this is your next level of guys, Kobe White. Zach Levine at the point of his career, and he he's not Bradley Bill in terms of well talent or cachet in the league. But Zach Levine is at the point of his career where he can be on a young team that's going somewhere. For instance, New Orleans. Trade Eric Bledsoe, two first round picks. Jackson Hayes and something to make the money work. Now you've got Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Steven Adams. That's a pretty good starting five. Because now Lonzo Ball is completely on the ball. You've got Zach Levine, who's a 27 point per game scorer. You've got Brandon Ingram, who scores 24, 25 a night. Zion Williamson's averaging 24, 25 a night. Now they all won't do it together, but you've got outside threat. A mid-range threat, an inside threat. Levine and Ingram can get their own shots in time they want. So that's a situation where even though they'd be young, Levine is in a better situation for winning. Plus the coach is better than Sam Van Gundy. Send him to the Lakers. The last member of the big three. You've got LeBron, AD, and Zach Levine, and who gives a damn? Okay? Now the Lakers don't, now the Lakers don't have the assets to make it work, but it's possible. The Bucks are in a good spot. They got to got Chris Middleton there. But I'm saying there is locations for Levine to go that his talents and his services can be better rendered than where he is now in Chicago. But that situation has nothing on the next situation. Bradley Bill has the NBA record. He's the first player in NBA history to lose 10 consecutive games or 10 games in a row in which he scored 40 points. Bradley Bill scored 47 points on the second night of a back-to-back for the Washington Wizards, and they lost by 15 to the New Orleans Pelicans, who, as a Pelicans fan, not complaining about. But 
there's no way he should have scored 47 and they not only lose but get blown out and every time he scores 40 they lose that is ridiculous bradley bill did not make the all-star game last year scoring 30 points per game six rebounds and five or six assists and he didn't make the all-star game that's insanity now that's ridiculous on the fan voting but it happens that's ridiculous on the coaches because you know bradley bill has been giving everybody buckets so that's bs on the coaches but he didn't make the all-star game he does not deserve that he needs to go to a contender yesterday um bradley bill deserves to get out of washington look he signed the extension two years at 87 odd million dollars he expressed his loyalty to the city he basically was thinking that him and John Wall were going to run it back. Turns out the organization had other plans. But it is just, come on, Bill. You, you just got to go to management and say, I'm out. You need to save your career. I completely understand that loyalty thing. I get it. But you right now are putting up Mona Lisa inside of Crab Shack. No one's going to see you were a Maserati at a trailer park. You are a G5 plane on a dirt road. You need to get out of Washington. Express your open desire to leave. Now, don't James Harden it. Don't come fat. Don't give no effort. Don't stuff like that. But I think you're more of a stand-up guy than James. But hey, don't do stuff like that. But you need to get out of Washington. So hopefully he does that. Uh, All-Star voting has officially opened. In terms of my All-Stars right now, I would have Jokic, LeBron, Curry, Dame, Kawhi, Paul, well, is that a Kawhi, Paul George? So Jokic, LeBron, Paul George, Curry, Dame. Out West and for the East, I would have Embiid, Giannis, Kevin Durant, James Harden, and I want to say Jalen Brown here. Um, I would probably go Bradley Bill. Uh, Jalen Brown's probably going to get it because he's one more. But Bradley Bill is insane. And he deserves to be an all-star starter if, if they do, in fact, have the game. But even if not, he deserves to be an all-star starter. But up next, we're going to shift to our interview with fan control football league player, Tramel Gooden. All right, everyone, and welcome back into the show. Now, up next, we have a very special treat. We have our first actual interview of Tramel Gooden of the new Fan Control Football League. So we're going to talk to him a little bit about his transition from college football into the new league. So, Tramel, how's it going? I'm good, man. You know, trying to stay healthy. I got you. I got you. So um, a little background for you for our listeners. You played at Morehouse College, is that correct? Yes, sir. And you were one of the stars of the team there. Uh, We saw a few of your highlights on NFL Network when you guys played there. And so you have transitioned into the new fan-controlled football league. Uh, Talk to my listeners a little bit about that experience. Uh, It's it's a different experience because, you know, me playing college, I I was outside 11 on 11. And the fan control football league is a seven on seven league. So, you know, and the field is a lot smaller. I think the field is only fifty yards, so it's a lot less space to work with. So everything happens faster and things like that. So it's it's a very, you know, learning experience. Okay, so how did you hook up with the league? How it, it was there a recruitment process? Was there a sign up list of some sort? How did that process go? Uh, they did have three different crowds in three different cities. I know one was in Atlanta, and I'm not sure what where the other two were. But my one of my coaches that coached me at Morehouse, he um he presented the opportunity to me, so I went for it. And, Hopefully you see me playing in a couple weeks. Okay. Um, is your first game in a couple of weeks? How long is the schedule? I notice there's not very many teams in the league. Um, just how long is the schedule? 
how is the gameplay sort of set up? I know you said seven on seven, but is that more of, you know, three down linemen? Is that two down linemen? Explain a little bit of the rule differences from normal 11 on 11 football. Uh, so it's three down linemen. Uh, and your option of three receivers or two receivers and a running back. So, you know, they it's, um, it's, I think the game's going to be played an hour straight. And like the name says, you know, it's a fan-controlled football league. So each week the fans get to pick, like, based off what team they signed up for, they get to pick what players they want on their team every week. Kind of like a fantasy draft, a weekly fantasy draft. And they get to pick what players they want on their team. And they also will be able to pick the offensive players. Wow. So that is a lot of the immersion that the fan base was really looking for in terms of like an NFL situation. It takes the fantasy football aspect to a different level, really having control and input on the league. Uh, just a couple of more questions. So what is your goals? Uh, are you going to try to use this film from this league to go to the NFL? Are you looking at a Canada? I know there's a couple of other leagues. The XFL is coming back in 2022, I believe, in the spring. So, what are your goals after the Fan Control Football League? Uh, one of my big goals is to get a shot, you know, at the NFL. You know, that's everybody's main big goal, you know, coming out of college. So, hopefully I could get at least a tryout, you know, at least to see if I'm able to play on that level. And just, you know what I'm saying? Try and maybe possibly get into any, any of these other leagues that's coming up. Because, you know, that also can help me get a shot and get a chance to play in the NFL. All righty. All right. And last question. Uh, obviously, the conference championship weekend just happened for the NFL. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to watch. I'm not too privy to your schedule. But obviously, you know who the Super Bowl is. We have the Chiefs and we have the Bucks. Who is your pick and why? Um, I'm going to go with Kansas City. Uh, it's hard, you know, better against Tom Brady because, I mean, no matter usually where he's playing, he always finds a way to win. But I'm going to have to go with Kansas City. I feel as if Kansas City has too many weapons on the offensive side, you know, as far as Tyree Chills, Travis Kelsey. I don't know if Sammy Watkins is playing this week, well, Super Bowl week. I'm not sure. But if he is, he's a threat on the field. And Nico Hartman. And they still often have Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, as, as well as um, uh, Edward Hilaire. So, yeah, that's a lot of that's that's a lot of weapons for one one quarterback to be playing with. And honestly, in that offense, you never know who's gonna be the guy who gets the high hand. Seen in the conference championship, Tyree Hill went crazy like he was just it was just one of his things and also Travis Kelsey he pitched in he also he had, he had two touchdowns that game so I mean they can beat you over the top they got the speed guys to catch a slant and take it 70 80 yards and he also got uh, Travis Kelsey in the middle of the field just I mean it's hard, hard to cover really hard to cover so I'm gonna go with the Chiefs alrighty Tramel well I definitely appreciate your time and I hope you have a great season in the Fan Control Football League and we'll definitely keep our eyes on that this season yes sir alrighty what a great interview with Tramel there I do wish him the best I've known him for a few years now so I wish him the best on that and up next, we're going to shift to the WNBA and talk about a rather exciting free agency so far for the W. Alrighty, and we are back. And now we're going to touch on the WNBA and what's happening with the W. So usually the W has as many movers and shakers, big names moving as the NBA. Now the WNBA has different CBAs. So for instance, they could core a player. So like the Los Angeles Sparks decided to core 
Nekagumake, which means she can only negotiate with the Sparks. It's effectively a franchise tag like the NFL because it is a, you know, you can only negotiate with us, but it's not so hard at the franchise tag. It's like the um, transition tag, maybe. Like, so where NECA can sign for the max contract, it's not like she's stuck on a one-year deal, but she can only negotiate with the Sparks. So there's different things like that in their CBA. But just like the franchise tag, you can only use so many years. So the first big domino to fall was Candace Parker, after 13 seasons of the Los Angeles Sparks, has decided to go home and sign with the Chicago Sky. The reason why she was able to do so was that she played her last three years on a core contract, which means the Sparks couldn't core her again. And so they couldn't exclusively sign her rights. And so she decided to go to Chicago. Uh, reportedly, according to Ramona Shelburne, the opportunity to play in front of friends and family, along with a pretty good, Chicago, a hell of a Chicago team, was too good to pass up. Uh, I remember Candace has spoken times in, on TNT, on NBA TV, when she's just been in social media appearances in general. She's talked about how she wants her daughter to be more with the family, but with her work schedule and her basketball schedule, she's in LA, she's in Atlanta or something like that, and her family's from Chicago, so it's hard to, you know, make that really work. So I guess she figures, hell, I'll take matters in my own hands. And so she's going to go to Chicago to join a, like I said, very good team, Diamond DeShields, Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, uh, that Chicago team is a talented group. So that would be definitely interested to watch there. The Sparks took another hit. Chelsea Gray has decided to join the Las Vegas Aces, which I'm going to be perfectly honest. That is my championship pick. Uh, you, can, you can book this today. The Las Vegas Aces, if healthy, are winning the WNBA championship now. I understand that the last time, the last two times we've seen the Seattle Storm healthy, led by Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd, they've walked out champions. I understand the last time we've seen the Washington Mystics fully healthy with Elena Deladon, they walked out champions. It just so happened that they were opposite years. The Storm won, and then everybody was hurt, so the Mystics won, and then Deladon set out because of COVID concerns. And then the Storm won again, so we don't know who was helping who more. Obviously, everyone wants to see Storm and Misses at this point. But the Las Vegas Aces can say, hey, we wanted our full strength either. Obviously, they brought over Atlanta Dream legend and WNBA legend, honestly, Angel McCautry, to pair her with Asia Wilson. But they did not have Liz Cambage, as she set out as well from this uh, season in Bradenton, Florida. She set as well. So now they get Liz Cambage back, Angel McCartry's back, Asia Wilson's back. Now you add in Chelsea Gray. So Bill Lambert's team in the Las Vegas Aces has a loaded squad. Oh, by the way, on that Chicago Sky squad, they still have Stephanie Dolson. So that is going to be a loaded group there in Chicago. Vegas is loaded. We know what Seattle represents. And now the Minnesota Lynx are now in play as well as they have signed or will sign Ariel Powers. So now the Lynx are coming back. Remember, the Lynx have been down. The Lynx were the toast of the, the WNBA. They had Sylvia Files, Maya Moore. They had Rebecca Brunson. They had Lindsey Whalen. The Minnesota Lynx were the talk of the WNBA. And they've been down for a while when Maya Moore decided to go fight social justice commendably and she should get all the recognition and accolades of doing things bigger than basketball ultimately it was also her getting married so hey congratulations to Maya Moore on multiple fronts Simone Augustus moved on to the Los Angeles Sparks Lindsay Whalen retired didn't go coaching Sylvia Files is getting up there in age Rebecca Brunson is no longer there so the links were coming down coached by Cheryl Reeves they were coming down a little bit but hey now they're coming back you know they got area powers they still have Sylvia Fox, they've got a good young core. So the Minnesota Leafs are going to do something. Obviously, we know about the Phoenix Mercury. Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith. They've got a big three. Vegas damn near looks like they have a big four. Chicago Sky has probably the best starting lineup in basketball. You already know what Sue Bird, Jewel Lord, and Brianna Stewart represent. 
in Seattle. So the WNBA is going to have a loaded season this year. I am so excited for the W and the hits are going to keep on coming. So I cannot wait for the W this season. But up next, we're going to talk about a little bit, just briefly, about Major League Baseball. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And I'm going to be perfectly frank. We don't talk a lot of baseball on this show. Uh, we're definitely going to do a lot more of it next season. Baseball had a weird season. We were all over the World Series. But we're definitely going to talk a little bit more baseball through the course of the season, especially when there's full-fledged season coming up. But I want to talk about baseball specifically today for a very specific reason. Baseball, what the hell? I no, Seriously, what the hell? I mean, that's all I, that's all I can say to be. You had a Hall of Fame election and no one got in. Not a single person made it. I'm gonna I'm gonna calm back down. I was I was frustrated at this originally. I was pretty pissed actually originally. The baseball writers put no one in the hall. Luckily for them. Well, unluckily for most of the known universe, but luckily for them, COVID happened. They didn't have a ceremony, so they can honor the 2020 class for 2021. Similar to what the Naismith Hall of Fame is doing for basketball. They're going to honor the 2020 and the 2021 class. Um, So, okay, fine, fine, fine. The problem is that the baseball writers can have vendettas. And openly just say no. For instance, baseball, we baseball Hall of Fame process is so screwy. We know the process. They have to get 75% of the votes from a massive amount of pool of writers. If you don't get that 75%, you'll be on the battle next year. You're on the battle for so many years, then you fall off and then you wait on the senior battle, basically. Now, football, you on so many years and then you fall off. Basketball, same thing. But baseball, we know the percentages. We know damn near who has all the votes. We know how many voters exist. I cannot tell you as a football junkie and a basketball lover who the hell votes for the Hall of Fame either one. I can't can't tell you. Couldn't you couldn't pay me to, to tell you who votes for that. I can find out in about two minutes who votes for baseball Hall of Fame. Most of them are proud voters, they voted for 30 years. But I can tell you who votes, I can tell you how many votes they need, because it's a broken process that people have been constantly trying to fix and constantly trying to make better, and baseball won't do it. Look, baseball, if you're going to keep Barry Bonds out, Roger Clemens out for steroids, and Kurt Schilling out probably for some personal political vendetta, Kurt Schilling should be pissed. If I was him, I would be pissed, and and I'm like, I should be in a freaking Hall of Fame. And they're not letting me in because I don't agree with the stuff they say. I'd be pissed. Barry Bonds was a Hall of Famer with or without steroids. If we are saying that steroids was bad, which I will not disagree with you on that, steroids is not great. Take out the year. I've said this about Sammy Sosa. I say this about Mark, Mark McGuire. I say this about anybody that Jose Canseco, A Rod, anybody we're gonna accuse of steroids, specifically Barry Bonds, because he's the he's the creme de la creme of this situation. Take out the years of steroids. Steroids has one flaw. We pretty much can see when they started. So it's a steady decline, age, 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 and then a spike of just ridiculous production. Guess what? You probably use steroids there. And we have enough sourcing and enough information and enough snitches in the world. Well, we can find out who, when they start taking steroids. We can pretty much get that down packed. So since if we can lop off six years, boom, gone, done, boom, those numbers don't count. Is he in the Hall of Fame? The answer is yes. Barry's in the Hall of Fame with or without steroids. Now, he's at the home run king without him. But he's definitely in the Hall of Fame without them. Roger Clemens is in the Hall of Fame with or without steroids. 
He may not have the most Cy Youngs ever. He may not be one of the top five most dominant pitchers to ever pitch a baseball ever without them. But he's a Hall of Famer with or without them. Get these people in the Hall of Fame baseball because you are a sport that has a lot of negative. You have the Black Sox. You have the Astros cheating scandal. You have steroids. You have known racists in the Hall of Fame perfectly okay, yet you won't let guys who did break the rules, but in an era where most of the stars did so, you're basically going to have to just block off 15 years of your history and not have a Hall of Fame because... If you're gonna get sit on your more high horse riders, sit on your more high horse all the way and take out the races, take out the guys who may have been involved in any cheating scandal, take out all steroid possible uses. Hell, take out the steroid era. Just get rid of it. Get rid of all the records, everything. It doesn't exist anymore. But you won't. So vote Barry Bonds in. Vote Roger Clemens in. Damn sure vote Kurt Schilling in. It's ridiculous. Vote. Pete Rosen, unban Pete Rose and put Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. The man has 4,000 hits. Why is he not in the Hall of Fame? I completely understand the gambling thing. I do. I get it. But that does not affect his as a player. Okay? The man has 4,256 hits. Put him in the Hall of Fame, please. Unban him. Say he can never be work with the MLB again. Say he can never, you know, coach, play, manage, own, whatever in the MLB. But he is... 4,000 hits. Get this man in the Hall of Fame. Please. Baseball. It's, your, your history is jacked up. It just is. So the fact that you're going to pick this very specific time frame to get Sadiddy and sit on your high horse is idiotic to me. It's ridiculous. The process needs to be fixed. It's, it's shameful that we can literally say baseball has no Hall of Famers for the first time since 1960, I believe. It's absolutely insane and I we, we need it fixed baseball we need, we need it fixed today I hope that Rob Manfred takes this under consideration and fix its insanity um but enough of baseball I must be ranting on baseball and how idiotic they are we are going to shift to our best for last which is going to be a talk maybe not that long of a talk but a talk about Kobe Bean Bryant. And we are back with Best for Last, um, which is going to be about Mr. Kobe Bean Bryant. The one year uh, anniversary of his passing along with his daughter Gianna and the other members of that unfortunate helicopter crash uh, tragic helicopter crash was just a few days ago um, obviously the immediate reactions flooded social media again and people remembering wow how they felt one year ago and you know, every show pretty much stopped for at least at least five minutes. I mean, some shows gave bigger attention to it. Uh, some shows may have mentioned it. Um, other shows, you know, did entire segments. ESPN did five, six hours of content. Um, all over the world, it was another reminder of just how far this man's reach went. Obviously, his Italian roots, they were celebrated. Um, his hometown is naming, I believe, a pizza after them, after Kobe and Gianna. Um, obviously, you know, the courts were painted and um, the Mamba Academy. Uh, I no longer carry the name Mamba. It's just the basketball, just the academy, something like that, basketball academy, something like that. Um, NBA players wearing jerseys, wearing shoes, wearing custom shoes, wearing custom jerseys. Um, just the outpouring of appreciation and love for Kobe. And I, I was sitting down and thinking about, you know, Kobe's impact on my life. And when I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie, when it first happened, I felt a sense of like, wow. Um, honestly, I still sometimes don't believe it. I have expected to see an alert about Kobe released a statement or 
something like that or you know he popped up on a video he was seen somewhere or, or something I, I i half expect this i know it's not gonna happen but it, it, it's what it will pops in my brain from time to time when i see or remember that he's not here kind of thing and you know growing up you gotta be honest it was jordan not jordan lebron or kobe pick a side there was no you know oh i like them both no 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 it was are you a lebron guy or are you a kobe guy because you can't even say oh, i like them both i like their games because the games were total opposites everything about them was not similar i mean it's just no they were they were not the same and so you know, I was a LeBron guy. I'm still a LeBron guy. And so I was, you know, trying to figure out whatever hole in Kobe's game. He's not a passer. He's a ball hawk. Can't win without this. Can do that, do that, whatever. And upon his past, upon his near retirement, I began to appreciate him more and more. Uh, really, after the Achilles injury, it was when it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to, you know, it was more of an appreciation than a well he can't do this and LeBron's better because of this and stuff like that and I was cheering very actively and loudly against Utah when he was scoring 60 to win that last game in front of pretty much everybody that was there I mean everybody was there Shaq, Allen Iverson I mean everybody that could be there was there Jack, the Staples Center was packed to the roof Um, he was the ultimate showman I mean, like I said, scoring 60 in his last game after barely, I mean, to be honest, barely limping through the season. It it wasn't like we seen this coming. It wasn't like he had scored 42 weeks before and he had a 30-pointer that week. And he just put up 35 the month before. Like, no, it wasn't like we'd been warned 60 was a possibility. And he goes and puts up 60, you know, including nailing free throws late and fadeaways. And it, it was... Typical Kobe Bryant with a little less athleticism than what we were used to seeing on the normal highlight reel, which he said he enjoyed it because it was a time to show like his daughters, like I used to do this like all the time. He even said it in Brooklyn, he was like, it was an opportunity for me to be like, yeah, daddy used to do this all the time. Like this wasn't just, you know, a one-off, oh, dad got hot today. No, this was what dad used to do to people. Like I used to do this all the time. And so for him to have that moment with his family um, was absolutely amazing. Um, at a certain point, at a couple of points in the game, when he was just when he got hot and started nailing shot after shot after shot, he you could just look back and see him smiling and chuckling at his family like, "Oh, I'm 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 in it today." Like um, he laughed about how his whole career he'd heard Kobe pass the ball, Kobe pass the ball. In that last game, they were telling him, don't pass the ball. Like, shoot it. Like, just shoot it. Like, just get, get a shot. Shoot it. Like, get the shots up. Like, um, so that was amazing to see. Um, we, I mean, he grew up literally in front of the national eyes. We started hearing about him in high school. Um, then he signs his first NBA contract at 17. He's the youngest NBA player ever at 18. Uh, he's uh, He was super young at 18 because he signed his first contract at 17. Even guys like LeBron, uh, who came straight out of high school, Dwight Howard, people like that, were 18 when they signed. So Kobe signed his deal at 17 and was a very, very young 18 when he first played in his first game. And, you know, we know the history. 3P with Shaq, 2P with Powell, MVP, scoring champ, all defense, uh, second most all-star appearances ever. Um, and just that scoring top five and scoring, I mean, the accolades just go on and on. Uh, the closest person to ever literally being Mike, um, remember, I mean, they started a campaign, they all want to be like Mike, and Kobe had the balls to damn near do it. Um, so kudos to Kobe for that, and just absolutely amazing. Uh, his career, uh, his life, his legacy. Like I said, off the court, after he retired, he was doing the Mama Sports Academy. He already won an Oscar. He was transitioning to the next Mamba life, which was going to be off the court for the most part. Um, you know, his oldest daughter was a volleyball player. And obviously, the youngest wasn't, you know, at the sports age yet. And the baby now, obviously, wasn't. 
he was going to be off the court for the most part, um, with the exception of Gianna, because she was coming to play basketball. Kobe didn't need a son. He had Gigi. I mean, I remember recall there was an interview or something where Kobe mentioned that um, a fan walked up to them on the street and was like, yeah, Kobe, do you want a son to carry on your legacy like on the court? And Gianna stepped up and was like, no, I got it. Like, she was Kobe. Kobe said, man, you, Kobe said that people like, man, you ought to see her. Like, she's better than I was that age. She's got more moves. She's got more confidence. She was biting the jersey. I mean, she was Kobe. Everywhere Kobe went, Gianna was right next to him. So... Not being able to see that next stage of Kobe or not getting to fully grasp it or not actually experience it rather is difficult, admittedly. It's um, four years removed from retirement, less than four years removed from retirement in the NBA. He has an Oscar. He already has bestsellers. He already has things that most people work a lifetime to get. Kobe guy and he just transitioned and was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. And he started doing it. Um but not to end this on a sad note, um uh, it was a hard one year, it was a hard day for most of the basketball universe, a lot of the world outside of basketball. Uh, thinking of the Brian family, thinking of the other families on the heli- affected by the helicopter crash. Um just wow. Um Absolutely uh, miss Mamba every day. The transition and the mentality translated into my life in a lot of aspects that never quit. That once you start, you finish. Um, And things of that nature. So definitely thinking about Mamba right now. It's bringing back a lot of feelings, a lot of emotions. Um, But that is all we have for today's episode. This was a great one. This is an amazing one. Uh, Thank you to Tramel again for being on the show today and thank you for listening and this is your host justin jackson signing out